Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Three, two, one. You're listening to Field Day with Katie Black. Is that is that is that good? Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Field Day with Katie Black. I am honored. Today I have with me... Hey Katie, this is Joe Valerio. How are you? <laughs> Mr. Valerio, thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, this is a big honor for me. Wanted to start off, I know I understand that you are from the Pennsylvania area and just wanted to know in a nutshell what was growing up there like. Oh, sure, Katie. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go back to my my youth days. Um, so, yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, I was fortunate enough to, you know, to obviously play six years in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and uh, but I grew up in Philadelphia. I was born born in, in in city in South Philadelphia. My dad was a professional boxer and and a truck driver and uh, married a country mouse and my mom and we uh, lived in the city and then settled out in the suburbs. And I um, I went to uh, to a pretty big high school in in the Pennsylvania area in the Philadelphia area called Ridley High School. We had a really good sports programs and uh, it was a great. It was a great environment growing up uh, for me in, in the in the 70s and 80s, which was, uh, you know, where you, you kind of your only rule was that you came home when the street lights went on. So we I was always out doing something, always playing a sport, playing a game, hanging out with friends, riding bikes, going to convenience stores to get ice cream in the winter, in the summer and, you know, getting hot chocolate in the summer, in the winter. Um, but yeah, it was a great, great place to grow up. Um, you know, a lot of our, our families worked at, uh, you know, the Navy, the Philadelphia Navy yard, or they were, uh, worked at the shipyards or some factories that were in town. So it was a really, uh, really good, really good down to earth, uh, growing up that I had, uh, ended up going to the university of Pennsylvania, uh, where I uh, got a degree in economics and played football there and uh, was drafted by the Chiefs in 1991 in, in the 1991 NFL draft. And, and the rest was history from a sports perspective. Awesome. Well, do you know at what point I've asked athletes this before? Do you remember, is there a specific time when you realized, oh my goodness, like I'm really good at this? Um. Well, you know, actually, no. I mean, oh no, I I did, but it came late. It, it was definitely not something that came early. I my love growing up was baseball. I actually was uh, recruited to play baseball out of high school, and it wasn't until my junior year, um, end of my junior year, going into my senior year, that I actually started to get some interest for for football. I was um, I wasn't actually that big in high school. Um, my sophomore year in high school put things into perspective uh, for for somebody who played offensive line in the NFL. Um, I was about five foot ten, and I weighed about one hundred and sixty pounds. My senior, my sophomore year in high school, and I grew um, almost seven inches in one year. So I ended up yes. around six four and a half, almost six five, my junior year in high school. And, but I didn't gain any weight. That was the problem. <laughs> so, so I was quite thin and I was, uh, you know, I had played multiple sports. I, baseball was my first love. I played football since I was a little boy. Um, I played basketball in high school. I wrestled, I did winter track, I threw the shot put. So I was always trying new things. 
And um, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't really until about my junior year, end of my way, end of my junior year, uh, early on in my senior year uh, in the fall, where I started getting some interest for, for football. And, you know, the University of Pennsylvania came along, along with some other 1AA schools. I didn't get any interest from any 1A schools. Um, now, obviously, today we call them FCS and, and FBS, right? Um, I didn't get any interest from any then 1A schools now known as FBS. I just didn't get any interest. I was, you know, I was thin. I was tall. I wasn't very developed. I never really lifted weights because I was always playing baseball. Um, but for baseball, I was getting recruited by some Division One college. I was a catcher. And, um, and, you know, but at six foot five, it was going to be tough to maintain a lifelong, you know, catching arrangement. And so I turned my attention to football and decided to attend the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Well, I understand while you were at university that you won like quite a handful of awards. What, what is that like? Well, you know, I, I, I always look at awards as team it's a team effort, right? Nobody does things alone, especially in the game of football, right? It's, you know, one of the ultimate team sports because everybody's so specialized, you know, everybody has their role to do and everybody has a particular job. And you usually, you know, good coaches match up those skills to, you know, they, they match them up to what your talents are. And, you know, for me, it started out very early on, um, you know, look, when I, I remember coming home from football practice, the first time I'd gone to a football practice when I was a little kid, because, you know, I used to spend hours in the backyard, you know, being the quarterback, the running back, the wide receiver. I was the coach. I owned the stadium. I was the kicker, you know, like I was the groundskeeper. Like I was everything. And, and never did I ever focus on line, right? Playing line. And I always wanted to get, you know, kind of my name in the paper, right? When you're a little kid, like you, you cheer for yourself. And then I go to sign up for, you know, little league football and I come home and my dad was like, Hey, you know, son, how did football practice go? Of course I played in, you know, that my youth was an era where parents didn't sit on the sidelines and watch your practices and you rode your own bike to practice and, you know, nobody was driving you anywhere in my neighborhood. And, you know, not that my dad didn't care, not that my parents didn't care about my sports career, but it, that's just the way the culture was right at the time. And so I come home from practice and, you know, my dad says, how'd it go? And I said, well, dad, it didn't go that great. And he's like, well, tell me about it. And I said, well, I'm going to be playing on the line, you know, after the coach had put us through this little mini combine, right? We're throwing, we're catching, we're passing, we're tackling, we're blocking and doing different skills. And I end up on the line. He said, well, why, why are you sad about that? I said, well, dad, when am I going to get my name in the paper? And he says, probably when you jump off sides on fourth down and cost the team the game. I was like, oh, well, that's not good. And uh, I said, when am I going to get my name on the loudspeaker? He said, oh, probably when you get a holding call and uh, you know, you get a penalty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, dad, like this, this whole thing is, uh, I don't know if I want to do this thing. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah, son, but you're going to, he said, you're going to be playing a position that in all of sports, it's the only position where your sole job is to protect another player, right? That's pretty interesting, right? And literally in all of sports, it's the only position where your sole job is to protect your teammate and to keep them from, you know, either getting tackled, hurt or whatever. So I kind of took that to heart, like, all right. And and over time, Katie, what I ended up doing is I developed this attitude that I was going to find joy in helping other people score touchdowns. And if you don't, when you play offensive line, it can be really frustrating. So I learned that 
coping mechanism pretty quickly. And I've kind of taken that my whole life. My whole life has been about that. My corporate, you know, being in the corporate world for the last 26 years, it's always been about helping people score touchdowns and and taking that lineman's mentality. So, so yeah, it, it was, I learned that lesson really early on. Um, and then, you know, just started to develop, you know, that skill for, for playing the position. Um, even though I wasn't big, it was just the position that the coaches thought I was good at, you know, I guess maybe when they clocked me on the 40, you know, I ran it, they could clock, they could time me on a calendar when I ran the 40 yard dash, I guess, as opposed to a stopwatch. So line fit me well. And ultimately I look back on that and say, man, part of the reason why I made it to the NFL was by really focusing and zeroing on something that I was really good at and not trying to step out of my, of my skin and be something that, that I wasn't. And, um, you know, I was able to make that transition, um, to really focusing on being a good lineman as I grew and got taller and bigger and towards the end of my you know senior year and then into college, um, I just sort of blossomed. And, you know, again, not knowing that I wasn't, you know, that knowing when I was pretty good at it probably didn't happen until about the end of my, you know, sophomore, maybe even my after my junior year, I, I got some awards. I you know was was named an All Ivy League player, first team, and you know getting some recognition from the coaches in the Ivy League. And you think, oh, maybe maybe I'm okay. And you know, I won a starting position. I you know I lettered on the team as a sophomore, um, and then you know won a starting position. And then and then my senior year, it just kind of it all fell together. It just all came together. You know, I just you know got some All American honors and you know, got some awards from the team for my contributions. But again, it's, it's a team effort, you know, football, such a team effort. That's awesome to hear. Cause I feel like I don't necessarily, I don't always hear that. So that's awesome. That's an awesome perspective. And it's, and it rings so true. Was curious um, towards the end of your college, you know, once college is starting to like wrap up and what have you, at what point are just someone say, Hey, let's look at the NFL scouts are coming in. What was that like? Well, it's an interesting story. You know, my um, right before my senior year in college, um, you know, I was getting some accolades, you know, preseason honors and things like that. Probably before my after my junior year and before my senior year, as the summer had progressed, you know, back then there was no internet, so there was no you know, pro football guides online, or there wasn't websites and Twitter handles and people just thinking about this all the time. There were a couple of magazines that would, you know, kind of look into sort of the draft and, and pro football weekly was, you know, a, a, you know, sort of a trade journal that kind of covered professional sports and professional football, I should say, but there wasn't much data out there. And I would say going into my senior year before the season started, I was probably at best, I was going to get maybe a free agent opportunity or maybe a very low round draft pick. Because back then, when I came out in 1991, there were still um, 12 rounds in the draft, right? So I was thinking, you know, maybe I was going to be a late, late, late round draft pick. Coming out of the Ivy League was tough, you know, because I always joke I was, you know, blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard. And, you know, it's a big transition to go from that to going against Reggie White and Howie Long, right? So, so right before my senior year, you know, my my then girlfriend, now wife, we've been dating since we were in high school. Um, you know, she said to me, she said, uh, you know, you're going to get an internship this summer, right? And I said, well, yeah, I I, um, I, I was going to work at the. Well, I was actually wasn't going to get an internship. I was going to work at the day camps that I was coaching kids at. And she said, well, you know, 
your roommates are, you know, working on Wall Street. They're they're taking uh, internships at you know the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Like, you gotta think about your future there, big guy. And I was like, okay, so you know, I got this internship at at a small firm, an investment, uh, a boutique investment firm called Kidder Peabody. And so, you know, my my dad, you know, with the wisdom that he always shared with me as he was driving, we only had one car in our family, so my dad had to drive me every morning before his work to the train station. And he dropped me off and I would take the train into the city. And, you know, Katie, I didn't, I grew up, I didn't have a lot of resources. So I probably only had one pair of dress pants, a couple of dress shirts. I had a tie that was way too short for a kid who was six foot five. You know, I was busting at the seams. I was like six, five, I was 310 pounds. And, you know, people used to joke, they, they said, I used to look like, um, if anybody's ever seen the, the Mr. Incredible, the Incredibles and like Mr. Incredible, when he was, when he would go to the office and he would stuff himself in the cubicle or into his tiny little car, like that was me, right? Everything about me was overstuffed because I just didn't have the right clothes. And I didn't even own a blazer at that point. And, um, but my dad said to me, he said, son, you're going to go to that office and you're going to do the work and you're going to do it humbly. You hear me? And I said, dad, I got it. And he said, no, wait, no, I want you to repeat after me. You're going to go to the work and you're going to do it humbly. And you're going to do whatever they ask you to do. You're going to treat everybody the same, no matter whether it's the person who comes in and cleans the office at night or the big mahoff that sits in the corner, you are going to treat everybody the same. I was like, okay, dad, I got it. And, And what my dad was recognizing was, you know, as a 22 year old who, you know, basically had the world at his feet, right? I was captain of an Ivy League football team. I was a preseason All-American. There was this possibility that I could maybe get an NFL tryout, right? Like that was pretty big time. And and my dad recognized if there was ever a time in my life, I could have been an absolute jerk. That was going to be the time, you know? And, and, um, And he recognized that. And so I approached that internship with a lot of hard work. And I did whatever they asked me to do, clean the coffee pots, move filing cabinets, literally physically deliver checks to clients, take a subway, take a train, drive to go see them, whatever I needed to do to to complete my work and treat everybody the same. And I was on a very strict schedule. I would get in every morning at 7.30. I would leave every day at 4.30 because I had to get my workouts in too, right? And And they were great with that. I had a big season coming up. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, so tired that I couldn't get my lifts in. So we, we made a good arrangement, but I worked hard and I'll fast forward six months. There's a point to the story. I'll fast forward six months. I was at the NFL combine and I had a really good senior season. You know, I, I felt like I played really well. I did what I needed to do. I stayed healthy. I played in the East West shrine game, which, uh, you know, is college all-star game. I had a chance to display my skills a little bit against those kids from Oklahoma and Penn state and Notre Dame and Iowa and things like that were, you know, People used to ask like, hey, what's it like playing for Coach Paterno? And I'd say, no, I didn't go to Penn State. I went to Penn, you know, so I I had to I had to kind of fight that small school sort of stigma. And uh, so I'm at the Combine and I was so fortunate to be invited to the NFL Combine. Like what a treat to be among 300, the best college athletes, you know, or football players in the country. And I go through all my workouts and, and I'm going through the interview process. And, and what, they, what they did back then in the 90s is, and late 80s is they would um, take you up to a hotel room 
as an interview, right? So like you'd, you'd have a little slip of paper in your, in your hotel mailbox and it would say, you know, Hey Joe, the chiefs want to interview you in room 220 at eight o'clock. Right? Okay. So you go to the interview and knock on the door and it's like an interview, just like everybody who goes through a business interview or whatever interview they go through. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there with Carl Peterson, the president, general manager, and Marty Schottenheimer, the head coach, Howard Mudd, offensive line coach. And, you know, they're asking me, and I had met Mr. Peterson um, at one point at the East West game very briefly. And, um, you know, so they sit me down They say, Hey Joe, how you doing? You know, how's everything going? I said, it's going great. And they were like, Oh, great. Great. You know, congratulations on your senior year and uh, welcome, you know, to the combine. And, and so, you know, you know, and then they started asking questions like, you know, when you twisted your ankle in eighth grade, you know, is that healed? And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. These these guys really do their homework, right? Like, because you're a commodity, right, at that point. So I'm kind of, we're kind of laughing about some of the questions that they were asking about, you know, injuries and things like that. And we get to the last question. And Carl Peterson um, says to me, he says, Joe, um, I got one last question for you. And he says, I want you to tell me about your uh, internship at Kidder Peabody this summer. And I'm thinking, wow, in my head, like these guys really do their homework. Like, wow, how is this happening? And so, you know, trying to be a little bit funny, right? In this interview, I kind of made a joke and said, well, Mr. Peterson, that's a great question. I said, but what does an internship at a financial services firm have to do with running into other 300 pound guys really fast? Like, I'm like trying to connect the dots here. And he laughed and he enjoyed the joke and, and we laughed about it. And he said, no, Joe, he says, it has, it has a lot to do with why you're sitting here talking to us. And he asked me, he said, do you remember a gentleman by the name of Tim Sennett? And I said, oh yeah, Mr. Sennett was the big Mahaf, as my dad would have called, you know, the boss of an office. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, he was he was the head of the office and the managing director. And and um, he said, well, yeah. He said, um, did, did you know at, at any point in your summer internship that um, Tim Sennett's one of my best friends, was a college roommate, and you know, godparent to my kid? And I was like. I had no idea, no idea. We never came up in my internship or anything. I, I went in through a completely different channel. I actually went through in, in through a University of Pennsylvania channel, and I didn't know Mr. Senate at all. And he said, well, he said, um, I'm going to tell you something. He said, the way that you handled yourself at that internship is the reason why we're going to draft you next month in the NFL draft. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, explain. And he was like, look, you know, he said the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, when you're look when they're looking at talent, he said, everybody who comes to the combine, everybody who's lucky enough to get an invite to an NF or to a college all-star game, we know they can play football. Like we, we know that they can run and tackle and pass and catch and do all the things that you need to do to be a successful football player. He said, but what the Hunt family is looking for is they're looking for the character, right? And that's why we're going to draft you. And he said, so tell me the lesson you learned. And I kind of thought about it really hard. I'm like, all right, I got to come up with a good answer here. And, and, and this light bulb went off in my head. And I said, well, I guess you never know who's watching, right, Mr. Peterson? And he said, absolutely. That's who the Kansas City Chiefs want in their locker room. They want football players who are going to do the right thing, even when no one's watching. And Ended up getting drafted in the second round by the Kansas City Chiefs. I kind of outkicked my coverage there, Katie, to be honest. I mean, coming from a small school like Penn and, 
you know, not really playing against competition. The Chiefs took that you know, took that chance and that gave me that opportunity. And I think a lot of it had to do with with that internship and and wow. differentiating. So, you know, it's just life is crazy, the turns that it takes, um, and the journey that you go on. And, you know, it's one lesson I tell young people today that I work with in the corporate environment. You know, I lead up our as an executive sponsor, our graduate development program at the company I work at, WTW. And I tell them that all the time. I said, do the right thing, even when no one's watching, because we're all watching you. You may not even know it. Yeah. And, and you know, those impressions that you make on people are going to go a long way. So I just try to share a lot of those lessons, awesome. you know, with people today. So, well, yeah, that's a really cool story. Now, once you are drafted and you have to make that move to Kansas City, what was, what was that like? Exciting? Ooh. I'm sure, but it was a whirlwind. Right. And I joke about it all the time, you know, and, and, and no offense to anybody named Biff McNutty who played at Harvard, but you know, I, I always joke about that, right. That I was blocking guys like Biff McNutty from Harvard and, and then, and then Reggie White's breathing down my neck and, you know, Derek Thomas. And, you know, one of the funny stories I always tell is, is Christian Okoye, the Nigeria nightmare was, was our tailback in Kansas city in the nineties. And he was NFL's leading rusher. I think I want to say in 1989, um, you know, he was a six foot three, 265 pound tailback who ran a four, four forty. I had never blocked anybody as big as Christian Nkoye as a defender, as a defender or as a defensive lineman in the Ivy league. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at Christian Nkoye and saying, I've never blocked anybody that big and I'm blocking for that player. How am I going to do this? How am I going to make this transition to going against Neil Smith and Derek Thomas and Howie Long and Reggie White and Cortez Kennedy and some of these names that, you know, you can, you know, some of your, you know, fans of the 1990s would would know those names, and I, I just didn't know how it was going to happen. And you know, thanks to great mentors, guys like Tim Grunhard and Dave Zott and John Alt, who were my line mates, that you know they pulled me along. And and if it weren't for them, you know, I would have floundered. And I really credit a lot of it to Derek Thomas. Um, God rest his soul. You know, he obviously passed away tragically, way too young um, in the vehicle uh, accident that he was in. Um, in the middle of his career and, you know, still today on the Mount Rushmore of linebackers, um, just an amazing person. He, he was the guy that pushed and pushed and pushed me because it was funny going into my rookie year, John Alt was our starting left tackle. He was held, holding out of camp, which every good veteran, you know, tries to do at some point in their career. Right. And Derek Graham, who was our backup left tackle was uh, injured in mini camp. So he was still out for the beginning of training camp or actually for most of training camp. And, um, I actually went into training camp kid from the Ivy league, right? I go in as the starting left tackle. Yeah. Right. Like that's going to end up happening. Right. But, and nonetheless, there's a depth chart and there were two guys in front of me were not playing. So I jumped into the spot and I, I'll never forget going against Derek Thomas in my first one-on-one -on -one pass blocking drill. And this is a guy who is literally the premier, not, not even just was, but is today still one of the premier pass rushers in the history of the NFL. And I'm looking at him and played at Alabama. I'm going, how am I going to block this guy? Like what, who, who put me here? Right. So I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, all right, 
I'm going to pull out my pen physics class that I took, you know, sophomore year in college. And I start pulling out physics formulas, right? I'm like, all right, force equals mass times acceleration, right? All right, I'm doing math now. I can, I can do math. I went to pen. <laughs> and 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 I'm like, all right, I've got him, I've got him on the mass side. I'm actually bigger than he is, right? I'm like bigger than Derek Thomas. So I'll just no, and then I started looking at the acceleration part of the formula, and I was like, mm, he's kind of got me there. <laughs> he's a, he was really fast. And so, so trying to use my strength, I decided at that moment that I was going to, in, in pass protection, it's called jumping a player. So if you, if you're bigger than a defensive end or a linebacker who's rushing the passer as a tackle, there's a technique that you can use where you jump them. And you get on them fast, right? And you, you you try to use your size over their speed. Now, he was really smart. When I tried to jump him, he saw my feet come together because my technique wasn't there yet. I hadn't had that NFL coaching yet. And anybody knows, it, it, I was 310 pounds, but when, when your feet are together, a 10-year-old could knock me over, right? It doesn't, because you have no leverage, right? So mm. he literally... Like he saw my feet come together. He turned on a dime and he knocked me down. Like I did, like I was a high school player. Right. And he, you know, sacked the, you know, the fake quarterback that was back there in the, in the drill that we were doing. And, and he puts his hand up and gets me off the ground. Cause he did knock me down. And he was like, okay, rookie. He's like, welcome to the NFL. He said, now we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do this again. And I'm going to tell you what you did wrong. And I'm going to tell you what you did right. And for that entire training camp, I got one-on-one coaching from Derek Thomas. And that to me, I think was the reason why I ended up playing, you know, six years in the NFL because of that moment right there where he, he just took me under his wing and just okay. made me better each day. And so I'll be forever grateful for the time that I had in the NFL. Thanks to him. Cause it would be, it would have been really easy for me to quit at that point and say, you know what? I can't do this. I don't have, I don't have the pedigree to do this. And, um, he wasn't going to let it happen and neither were my line mates. And, um, you know, I did everything I could to, to keep fighting and, and stay on that roster every year until, until I had an injury, um, in, in my sixth season that sort of sidelined me to the point where it, it just, you know, we had a saying in the locker room, it ends for everybody to some sooner than others. And for me, it just kind of ended and and it happens, but listen, my wife was pregnant with triplets and I have, I have triplet daughters and, uh, you know, I, I got let go by the chiefs, picked up by the Rams that didn't work out. I just couldn't get healthy. My back was just a mess. And, uh, you know, it just kind of ended and, I went to work and got involved in 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 the corp in cor- in the corporate insurance brokerage world and been doing that ever since for 26 years. Wow. What a what a story. Well, you know, I haven't talked to that many former professional athletes, but I have talked to quite a handful on and off mic, and my understanding is it is very difficult for most to kind of readjust once their career comes to an end. And was wondering, it doesn't seem like, was that hard for you or you just, I'm sure it was, but it sounds like maybe you had your ducks in line or what was that like? Well, I had some, you know, I had high motivation, right? I had three one-year-olds at home um, that I knew I needed to provide for. Um, I knew that I had the background of of having a degree from college that I wanted to put to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I had a really good network of people that I could rely on, right? And um, so while it was quite scary um, to leave a career that was like, you basically, 
you dream about it and then all of a sudden it's over and you're like, oh man, like what just happened? Um, but you know, another piece of advice from my dad, um, that really helped me to, 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 to get going in, in the rest of my life, so to speak. I, well, first of all, let me backtrack. I knew I had two things I had to work on. I knew I had to create structure and feedback for myself because my whole life had been structured and full of feedback, right? Like it gets so granular in the NFL that, you know, you watch the video back then it was technically, you know, tape. We used to watch VHS tapes, right. Of ourselves. Like you watched yourself, you know, doing drills, like, like you're like, wait a minute. It's not even like game film. You're watching drills and the coach is saying, Hey Joe, you know, when you're doing this drill, you should maybe take a six inch step with your left foot, not a 10 inch step with your left foot. Like, Oh my God. Like you get like your whole like college is nothing but feedback, right? Tests and quizzes and curriculums and there's structure in your life. And the real world doesn't really offer you that. And I tell young people that all the time who are making a transition from college or sports or whatever. I say, make sure you find structure in your life and make sure you provide yourself with a feedback loop you know, with people that you're getting feedback on how you're doing, because that's what progresses professional athletes and athletes in general. And um, so anyway, but let me go back to the transition story. So my dad talked to my dad about everything. And when, when I filed my retirement papers, you know, I knew I had some things lined up to go to work in the financial services industry and ultimately the insurance brokerage industry. Um, I, you know, I said to my dad, I said, dad, like, I was like, I just retired. And um, he's like, well, son, I'm really proud of you. You know, you, you accomplished something that nobody thought, you know, you really could do. And I thought he was going to keep patting me on the back. because I was waiting for that. Right. Because I needed that at that moment. And my dad looks at me and he says, you know what, son, you got to remember one thing. And I was thinking I was going to get this big, you know, heartfelt like reward. And my dad's like, you're nobody now. And it, while it was a huge kick in the gut, it was the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in my entire life. Because what he followed it up with, Katie, was, Joe, you've got to bring value. You can't rely on your past to dictate your future. Certainly, you can learn the lessons, you know, hard work, teamwork, all the things that make made you a professional athlete, you can learn from. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. If you rely solely on it, you are going to fail miserably. He basically was telling me that, you know, what he was basically telling me was don't sit there in glad hand and think that because you caught touchdown passes from Joe Montana or hung out with Derek Thomas, that, that anybody was going to give you anything. Cause he basically was saying, Joe, really at the end of the day, nobody really cares. And I'm telling you, it's hard, hard to swallow that when you have, you know, 85,000 people screaming your name when you score a touchdown or make a good block and you're on TV. I mean, I was a sports anchor. I did two years stint as a sports anchor and two years as a radio host. I mean, had a lot of people who knew who I was and would Mm -hmm. recognize me. And it's really hard. It's hard to, to come away from that. And, but then to also know that you've got to bring value in every relationship that you build every day. And you got to help people and support them and block for them and, you know, help them score touchdowns. And and to me, that was, I will forever be grateful for those two pieces of advice that my dad gave me a lot, well, more than just those two pieces, but lots of advice, but the one about doing the work humbly and also the one about, 
you know, kind of no realizing that I was going to have to bring value and that I couldn't rely on sports to be my future. I feel like everything that you told me about your dad, he almost seems like a TV dad. Yeah, oh, he was. Well, he was. He was a TV dad. If like you see Robert De Niro as a TV dad, my dad looked a lot like Robert De Niro. He was nice. typical Italian, you know, South Philly. He was tough. He you know grew up in the during the Depression. Um, you know, he was a professional boxer, worked hard for a living um, as a truck as a truck driver and warehouseman. And so, you know, he was tough. He taught us about toughness. And yeah, he was he was definitely definitely a TV and and to boot, he was an absolute character. I mean, I think there's probably a movie to be made about about my dad and the way that nice. he was. Um, he was an amazing person, but he he really. Um, you know, he just, he, he always was looking a step ahead of us. That's awesome. That's awesome that you had that. Um, okay. Like I said, I, I'm on the time clock, unfortunately. So towards the end, I like to end kind of like on an off colored. Yeah. Note. Yeah. But I understand that you were on the prices, right? I was Katie in um, 1994. We were out in, in LA um, at a golf tournament with a great friend of mine, Michael Young's wide receiver with the chiefs and the Broncos and a couple other teams, Rams, I think he was with. Um, and, uh, we decided, my wife and I decided to go to Hollywood and hang out and do some things. And it was always on our bucket list to get on a game show. And we went and stood in line in, 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 in five o'clock in the morning. And, uh, we were, we were contestants number 68 and 69, and they only let a little over a hundred people into the prices right back then when Bob Barker was the host. It's a small little studio. And uh, they took you in groups of 10 through the producer line. So, you know, uh, people one through 10 would stand there and the producers would look at you and ask you, Hey, what do you do? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And they're always looking for something a little edgy, right? Like something that's going to make for good TV. Now I wanted my wife to get on Katie. I w- totally wanted my wife, Jennifer to get on. And she was a school teacher and she's such an enthusiastic person. And I knew she wanted to get on and she was contestant 68. So she went first. So the producers say to her, so, yeah, Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? And she's like, Oh, I'm from Philadelphia originally, but like we live in Kansas now and I'm a school teacher and I teach elementary kids. And, you know, I have been a big fan of prices, right? And she was like, you know, when I used to go home at, when I was sick from school, I'd always watch The Price is Right. And it's my favorite show, game show. And she was being all, and I'm pointing at her. I'm like, you got to get her on. She's awesome. And they get to me. And I was, I was going to try to be Mr. Dull. Like, I was going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, <laughs> just I'm, a, out. I'm, a, I'm a salesperson. I'm just here with her. Like, you got to pick her. And I was like, and just as I was about to go into my little diatribe about like picking her to go on. This guy is standing like three people behind us, and he goes, He plays for the Chiefs. He was what and I'm thinking, what are the odds? Right. What are the odds? So this guy was from Kansas City, and he was also in line, and he recognized me, and he goes, He plays for the Chiefs. And the producers right there, my wife looked at me, she goes, That's it. You're getting on. I'm not getting on. You're getting on. And of course. That was what Bob wanted, right? He wants people to come on down that have a little story to tell. And I felt so bad for Jennifer because I so wanted her to get on, but I did go on. I was this, I got called up in as the second person after, you know, so like they do the first four in contestants row, somebody wins and goes up. I was that next person that got called down, you know, come on down. And I 
First game, I didn't guess right on a globe. I was way off. And then it was like this weird globe. It was very interesting. And then, but I guessed, I came like within, I can't remember how many dollars of guessing um, a, a set of Diane von Furstenberg luggage. Oh my goodness. So I won, I won a set of luggage and um, I got to go up on uh, from contestants row and go up on stage with Bob and do a game called switcheroo and, and try to switch the prices between a dinette set and a go-kart. And my nephews were so mad that I lost. I didn't win. And then I spun the wheel and got 50 cents. Didn't go to the showcase, but had a ton of fun with Bob Barker. It was a blast. We had a great time. How exciting. So he was a, he's a nice guy. He was awesome. He was so sweet. Yeah, he was great. He's and it was funny because he said, uh, he said, Well, you play for the Chiefs, right? And you, you must know a lot about Missouri. And I was like, Yeah. And he goes, Well, you know, I was stationed. He goes, When I was in the military, I was stationed in, in Liberty, Missouri. And I said, Well, Bob, that's where we, the Chiefs, you know, used to go to training camp all the time. And he's like, Oh, yeah, really? Wow, that's cool. And 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 um he said, Is there like a statue there of me? And I was like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. So we had a blast. We had a blast. It, he was so cool. He was so cool, That's man. So the Silver nice Fox. To hear. So. That's such a cool story. Yeah. I always used to watch that with my grandmother back in the day. So very cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, I'm they've they've given me the Zoom's given me the couple minute warning, but do you want to give a shout out to your social media? I know also oh. you have a podcast under the Believe family as well. Sure. Yeah. Under Believe Family. And uh, we have Believe in Chiefs. Um, I do it with my podcast partner, Jeff Fedoten, who writes for Forbes magazine. He's also a book editor. Uh, He's a Kansas City native. We have a blast. Um, We talk Chiefs, we talk NFL, and we do it weekly. And we just had Eric Stone Street on, which was a great, that was a great treat. Um, Yeah. So it's uh, give a listen. And I'm at Joe Valerio 73. So that's my handle. Awesome. Well, that's it. What did you think? I hope you had a good time. Oh, okay. This was great. This was so great chatting with you. What a nice, and I love, I love what you're doing. You do such a great job with your pod and, and really awesome to meet you. And thank you so much for having me on. What a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to join you. Same. This has been awesome. I really appreciate your time and sharing your experiences with me. Absolutely. Have a wonderful rest of the summer and I hope we can do it again. Hope yes. we can do it again. Yes. I'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Okay. Sir. Bye, everyone. This is Field Day with Katie Black. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.